Welcome back to another recording from Yusundamin Library. We are continuing this week on a discussion that we've had in previous recordings regarding following God. So thank you for our listeners. Thank you all for tuning in. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you open our ears to hear and our eyes to see what it is you want us to receive today so that we can be successful in this life the way that you planned for us to be. We're very grateful for your word. We do honor it as your word. And I pray, Father, that everyone here is able to receive something good and that they apply it to their lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, today we're going to be talking about following God. I want to continue on this subject, but we're going to go to a subtopic of why we should follow God. Why should we follow God? What would you list down as reasons as to why God should be followed by us? Why should we follow God? So what I want you to remember and pay attention to most of all is this. Following God is the way to fulfillment and satisfaction in our lives. Again, following God is the way to fulfillment and satisfaction in our lives. Now, I'm going to be reading from a base text that will kind of give us an outline of what the Bible says about following God. Now, go with me to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to start reading with verse 1. Now, it says here, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Now, the Amplified Bible says, and the Amplified is another translation. The first translation was the King James Version. Amplified amplifies or brings out some of the hidden meanings or makes it brighter and more understandable to us. So the Amplified Bible says, Therefore be imitators of God. Copy him and follow his example. As well-beloved children imitate their own father. So good children imitate their fathers, uh, good fathers that is, and should, because the father is there to set the example for the child. So this is our main text. Follow God like a child would follow their parent. Follow everything they do. That's your first example. That's all you know. That's how you want to follow God. Now, the question is, and I want to, I want to start out today by asking the same question that the Bible asks. So, to, before we get into anything else, let's start off with asking this very important question. Now, this is a question that many and arguably all people have asked at one time or another. You're going to cross this question if you're a believer in God, if you've never met God, and you have no idea who we're talking about, or if you're all out against God as a whole, just full-fledged rebellion against God, you will face this question. And this question itself has a flaw in it, and we're going to get to that, and we'll see the answer to this question today. Now, I want to be fair to my listeners and future listeners, and I'm going to give you some time to guess what the question is. I'm going to give you 10 seconds. Now, what is the main question, one of the main questions posed in the Bible. Now, you don't even need a Bible to know this. This is a question posed by mankind in regard to God. What question would that be? You have 10 seconds. Go.
time. Did you guess it? Let's see. Now turn to the book of Job. Let's hear the, what the question is. Job chapter 21, verse 2 through 15. Now here's what it says. And, and pay key attention to this. And actually, I don't even need to say that because Job's going to say that. Job is going to say, listen to me diligently. So let's start with verse 2. Actually, let's start with verse 1. Verse 1 says, But Job answered and said, Hear diligently my speech, and let this be your consolations. And your consolation is pretty much to say your comfort. So let this comfort you. Suffer me that I may speak, or allow me to speak, and after that I have spoken, then you can mock me, if you want. As for me, is my complaint to man? And if it were so, why shouldn't my spirit be troubled? Or why shouldn't my spirit be impatient, if my question was to man? Because they can answer me right now. Mark me and be astonished, and lay your hand upon your mouth. Even when I remember, I am afraid and trembling taketh hold on my flesh. Wherefore, or why do the wicked, how, how does this happen? How does the wicked live, become old, yea, and are mighty in power? Now this isn't the question, but this is a good question. How does the wicked become old and are mighty in power? Why are they living good lives if they're wicked? Their seed is established in their sight with them, and their offering and their offspring before their eyes. So their children, they're doing well. Their houses are safe from fear. Neither is the rod of God upon them. So they're not facing judgment. They're not facing. Uh, they're not coming face to face with God as a deity. Their bull gendereth, or their uh, at that in this time, their bull or their calf. These, this was a type of currency. So people did trade with animals during this time, uh, more so than gold or something like that, particularly in uh, farming type culture. So their bull gendereth and faileth not. Their cow calveth and casteth not her calf. So this means that their bull, they have children successfully. Their cows, they don't have miscarriages. They send forth their little ones like a flock and their children dance. Now, if your currency is cows, your cows being able to multiply is a big deal, right? It's like your money being able to multiply. Uh, so this is as if your money is increasing. They're saying they're not running into what other people may run into. Like, man, my stock there, my flocks and all my cattle, my herds, they're not able to have children. So they send forth their little ones like a flock and their children dance. They're having a good time. They take the timbrel and the harp and rejoice at the sound of the organ. So they're partying. They're having a great time. They got, I mean, I don't know how good music is with the timbrel and the harp only, but, you know, thank God we got a lot more going on musically today. But still, they're having a good time even with that. That's how well they're doing. They spend their days in wealth and in a moment go down to the grave. So they just they shoot on out of here. They don't spend their last days in punishment. Therefore, they say unto God. Now, we're getting close to the question, so make sure you're listening to this. Therefore, they say unto God, depart from us, for we desire not the knowledge of thy ways. Now, why do they say that? Because they're successful in their own way. They're not facing judgment from God. They're not facing wrath from God. Now, here's the question. Okay, let's read verse 14 again. Therefore, because they're doing well, they say unto God, depart from us, for we desire not the knowledge of thy ways. Life is good. 
and you'll find statistically that most people come into many people, I'd say the second majority, besides those who've just been trained up in it, the second majority of people that usually find God is are, are usually individuals who are going through hardship or trial. Many people come into God when they're going through a tough time. That's when they really start to come to God. So these people aren't facing that. So they're saying, we don't desire the knowledge of your ways. And they're telling God, go away. This is the one that created them. Now, here's the question. Remember, if you're a believer, you're asking this. If you don't know God, you're probably asking this. If someone maybe is mentioning God to you, or if you're thinking, is there a God? Or if you're in full-fledged rebellion of God, this is the question. What is the Almighty that we should serve Him? Who is God that I should serve Him? What profit should we have if we pray unto Him? Why should I pray to God? Why should I serve God? What, what's, what benefit do you get out of that? So let's look at another man that actually asked this question. And you can see that this these are individuals who generally, they may not know God, they may know God, and maybe they're just wavering. They're not seeing the payoff on why am I doing this? So let's go to Exodus. Now look in chapter 5 and verse 1. This is Moses coming to Pharaoh. God has asked Moses to come to Pharaoh as a instrument to deliver his people through, to speak to Pharaoh through. Moses was going to represent God to Pharaoh. So afterward, Moses and Aaron, Aaron was also with Moses to help Moses speak because Moses didn't have confidence in his own speaking ability. So Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. So let my people go, let them come to me and I'm going to lead them to where they should be. Now watch what Pharaoh said, which is going to direct his course of action. People act like whether or not you believe in God does not make a difference in your life. Here's a great example on how it does. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. This is where a lot of people are. Who's the Lord? Why should I obey him? Why should I do what he says? So this is why we have conflict in the world. One group of people is saying, hey, God is telling Elise us to do this. And then some people are even going as far as imposing on those people and saying, you know, you don't have to do what God told you to do. Or how do you know this? Or why do you trust the Bible? So these are things that you want to be able to answer. We're going to address these things today. But don't forget that when you're when you're in this position, it does affect the decisions you make. Someone who does know God is going to make completely different decisions than someone who doesn't. So now let's go back and talk about Job. So Job said that this is what the wicked say when they're doing very well. And Pharaoh was very well off here. He, the, Israel was working for him. He had a free slave army that was building monuments to him, treasures. Joseph had really done a lot to make uh, Egypt rich uh, years ago. Then Pharaoh, Pharaoh came that didn't even know who Joseph was, enslaved Israel because Israel was becoming mighty. Uh, uh, and that was part of what was the result of what Joseph was doing. So later on in, the, in Job, in the same chapter even, it goes on to talk about why people think this way. He also mentions why people cannot escape this kind of thinking. Now, we're not going to read it because we're going to stop at this question, but we do want to answer why we should follow God. Now, 
We know from the way that Job lived, though, that he did not agree with these type of statements. He was not confused on why to follow God, but he said the wicked are. And how do we know that he was not thinking like this? Well, because of how he lived. He did follow God. He did trust God. He had a relationship with God. So why is he mentioning this then? Well, Job has been facing some of the worst phases of suffering that anyone has ever or will ever endure. So imagine you're the richest man. Just use your imagination for a moment. Imagine you're the richest man on half of the planet that you live on. Maybe it's the top half, bottom half, left, right, doesn't matter. You're the most well-off person in the entire half of the globe. You're so well-off that people know about you long before television has become the mode of communication, before the internet, before social media. Word takes a long time to travel, but word has gotten out that you are well-off and how well-off you are. Matter of fact, you're not just well-off naturally, but spiritually as well. So much so that even in heaven, God is talking about you. <laughs> just pause and think about that. You're doing so well naturally, people know about you. You're doing so well spiritually that God is bragging on you. Now, people use the term man of God nowadays, but in the Bible, God called this man perfect. Wow. God called him a man of God. And he, God, is even bragging to the devil about it, saying, man, this guy will not change. You can attack all you want all day, all night. You can do anything to him and he will not betray me nor let go of his trust in me. And he doesn't even know that you're the one attacking him. He trusts me so much that he will trust me even when he may think that I'm the one laying this on him. Now, the whole time when you keep reading the book and you go throughout the book of Job, which is a fascinating story, throughout the book, you're going to see that people tempt Job to curse God. We're going to see people tempt Job to thinking that his life is a direct result of his works only, as if life is not unfair or just unfair sometimes. We're going to see Job in great sorrow. Yet through all of this, Job continues to speak well about God, trust in God, and the only thing he asks God is, why? Why is this happening? But he's still trusting him. He's defending him. So this question of why should we serve him? He says that the wicked and the foolish think this way. How do we know? Look at what he says to in Job in chapter 21, verse 22. He says, shall any teach God knowledge, seeing he judges things that are high or those that are high? So he's judging high things. Who's going to teach him? He's judging people who are high. So who's going to teach him what to do? Right? He's not someone who's over 10 and the one who's over a thousand are able to tell him, hey, you did this wrong. No, he's judging even the highest. So who's going to teach him what to do? So only the foolish are going to come to him and say, no, you're messing up. No, you're doing wrong. Look at the world. Look at suffering. Job didn't even think like that. And this is a person that went through more suffering than anybody. And it just amazes me that we have so many people that don't know anything about suffering questioning God. When somebody's going through suffering, and many people even nowadays, the poor, many times, are followers of God, faithfully. 
They don't base God on their circumstances. They have enough sense to know that. Now, we're still in the introduction, and we're going to get into this, but let me address the fatal flaw here. The flaw with this question, and not Job's question, but the question that people ask, because Job will ask a couple questions. He'll ask why. That's really his main question. But this question of, is there any profit in following God? Why, why should we serve him? Why should we pray to him? The flaw with this question is that it's only asked by people who don't have a real, lasting, evidence-based relationship with God. Again, the flaw with the question is that the person asking it does not have a real, lasting, evidence-based relationship with God. Jesus ain't going to ever ask this question. Excuse my English. Moses ain't going to never ask this question. Adam is not going to ever ask this question. Paul is never going to ask God, why should I even pray? Why should I spend my time serving you? And these are people who went through great suffering, particularly Adam. Adam had everything and lost everything. <laughs> you know, Adam had everything and lost everything. Now, Job, of course, has to deal with quite a bit, and he never got to meet Jesus that we know of, so he couldn't answer this question fully. Obviously, he didn't meet him naturally, but we don't know if Jesus you know, appeared to him or anything like that. Nothing's recorded about that. So he had so many issues going on that he couldn't deal with doctrinal disputes and arguments on the meaning of life and you know, why things happen. That wasn't his purpose in the book of Job. He was not in a situation where he invited guests and handed out flyers to announce that he was going to teach on why somebody should follow God. So we are going to look at someone whose purpose was to teach people why they should follow God and see what they say. So I'm going to give some points on why we should follow God. And I'm going to reference some individuals who, in, in the opinion of the Word of God are pretty trustworthy and historically speaking are trustworthy. One of the main reasons, number one, that we should follow God is because this is what Jesus instructed us to do as believers and followers of Him. And why do we believe and follow Jesus Christ? Because He's reliable. Now, why is He reliable? Jesus rose again from the dead. We have historical evidence that that is the case. The only evidence to the contrary is speculation. Jesus did the supernatural why he was alive. This wasn't attributed to him after he died, like it is in other religions. Now I want to begin by posing a question to you. Why in the world should we, or anyone else, listen to Jesus? Now I gave some reasons. But let's hear from someone who walked with him. Like We never saw Jesus naturally speaking in the flesh. Uh, so, since mankind has existed, there have been many attempts to classify God. There have been attempts to define God. There have been religious movements to explain what God wants. There have been other attempts since the time of Jesus, even, to identify God as well. Now, what makes what Jesus is saying so valuable? Now, if you were to go back in time and appear right there in the group of people that he is talking to, without knowing anything about who he is, nor who the people are around him, you may think, why should we listen to you? Who are you? If you're just appear at a random time where he's just talking. So let's see if someone can sum up 
why we should put our trust in Christ. Because you see, the problem with many today is that many people are have a platform to speak, but are not qualified to speak on the subject they're speaking about because the research is surface level and there's no deep diving in to the actual analytics of what is going on. And put another way is that most people don't know what they're talking about. Okay. So you're at a disadvantage trying to say what Jesus did or said, and you don't even know what Jesus did or said or what others witnessed about him. So let's go to Acts chapter 2, verse 22 through 28. Then we're going to read verse 30 through 47. This is a long passage, but it's all addressing somewhat the same thing. Now, this is Peter talking. Peter says, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you or in the, in, around you, as you yourselves also know. He said, you all know this. Now, nobody, notice this, there's many contrary things where somebody would speak up and then someone would shut them down. Even the writers, they're writing that we said something and Jesus told us to stop talking. <laughs> we said something and the chief uh, guard said, hold your peace or something, but not here. Here, they're saying, Jesus did miracles, and you know it. And nobody says, no, no, he didn't. Nobody says that. Him, talking about Jesus, verse 23, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God means God knew this. God sent him here for this. You have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Now, when he says determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, he's talking about prophecy. He's saying that this was already known by God and the people of God that all this would happen, that God would be, that Jesus would be sent, God would be moving throughout Jesus' life, he would be impacting people through Jesus and Jesus' willingness to allow God to do that. He was delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. He said, you all have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. That's a, that's a bonus here. Why should we follow God? When he's on your side, you won't be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope, because you will not leave my soul in hell. Neither will you suffer your Holy One to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. That's another bonus here. That's not the one we're covering. But God can make known to us how to live, the right decisions to make, how to avoid evil, how to avoid trouble. Continuing with verse 28, Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. That's another bonus, but we're going to skip all these because we're talking about why should we follow what Jesus is saying about following God. Therefore, being a prophet, talking about David, David's a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath 
with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. That certifies David as a prophet because what he was saying came true even as Peter is recording that David saw this before time. In verse 25, it says, For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord. So we know David's seeing the future because he's a prophet. That's part of what a prophet's office is, is to be able to foresee what's coming, even if it's hundreds of years later or a couple days later. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. We saw it. Therefore, being by the right hand of God, and here's another opportunity just a side note, where somebody within the company of where Peter was, there was a group of people that Peter was with that could have said, no, he didn't. <laughs> Peter, there you go again, saying some randomness. No, they, they just sat there because it was true what Peter was saying. We saw him risen from the dead. So verse 32, this Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses or we all are witnesses, therefore being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear, talking about the gift of the Holy Ghost evidenced by speaking in tongues, and they were also so overwhelmed with the Spirit, and in somewhat of a state of ecstasy, that they were just reeling around almost as if they were drunken, they were just obviously when you're having such a visitation from God, there's plenty of evidence in the Bible, people historically and individuals who are in contact with God now knows that your body can feel overwhelmed when your spirit is in contact with God, kind of as if it's overriding what's happening with your body. At any time, of course, you can not yield to that and operate as you would normally, but most individuals find that there's a lot of joy that comes or uh, hope or, I mean, Peter just said that joy, you've made me full of joy with your countenance or with time with you. Now let's continue here. Verse 34, for David is not ascended into the heavens, and at this time he wasn't. David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Because the Lord said to my Lord, so their Lord obviously was Jesus Christ. And we know this because in the book of John, chapter 13, verse 13, Jesus says to his disciples, ye call me master and Lord, and ye say, well, for so I am. So you can't miss that, right? He's saying, you're calling me Lord, and good job, because I am Lord. So here, David is foreseeing this and saying that you have not left my soul in hell, but we know that David did see corruption. So obviously, David was not talking about himself. But we know that 
This is speaking about the Lord, the Lord God, the Spirit, the Father, the Heavenly Father, the Spirit of God, said unto my Lord, the embodiment of God, which is Jesus Christ, sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Now, that's the proper response. What should we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So instead of saying, why should we serve God and why should we pray unto him? They made their proper decision and said, what shall we do? Now look at this. This next verse is key. Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ and you'll feel better. No, he didn't say that. And you'll be a part of a great group of people and we're going to hang out together. No, he didn't say that. For the remissions of sins, what's going to happen? You'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, this is putting God to the, to the test. If you repent, change, change your thinking thoroughly, change your way, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Proclaim that he is, and say, I died when Christ died. He took on my old life, and I'm taking on his new life. For the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So all they have to do to disprove this is not receive it. Now look at what verse 39 says. For the promise is unto you, and unto your children, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So this is not just for them. This is for all that are afar off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. So that means that it didn't just stop there. As many as the Lord our God shall call. All that are afar off. However far off they are, it's for them. The promise is for them. And with many other words did he testify and exhort her teach, saying, Save yourself from this untoward generation, or this wicked generation, or you could say corrupt generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. So there were some that didn't receive. See, some didn't even want to try it. And that's the same situation we have today. Some don't even want to put God to the test. You can God is saying, Prove me. If you will do certain things on your side, I'll do certain things on my side, but I'm not going to override your free will. If you're going to do something, I'll do something. But most people won't even take that step. So it said some that received, the ones who did receive, they were uh, baptized. Let's see, verse 41, they that gladly received his word were baptized. Now, some of them weren't glad about it because he said, repent. <laughs> he said, change. They didn't want to change. And the same day, they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. 3,000 people got changed here or, or decided to change and follow them. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking a bed, bread. They're even eating together and in prayers. So these are definitely not people who are saying, 
What profit is it if I pray unto God? These are people who are praying with the disciples. Disciples haven't done any miracles yet. They just going around acting like they were drunk <laughs> and not just acting like it, but really the behavior was just showing evidence of what had happened. And because of the miracle that they heard them speak in their own language, knowing they didn't speak their own language, so they didn't do a miracle, but the miracle was happening, this caused them all to want to change and what Peter said. So fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done upon were done by the apostles. Now, because reverence is there, wonders and signs are done. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold all their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. It's the closest as you're going to get to communism. But see, this is a willing thing. This wasn't forced by the government. This wasn't law. Everyone came and just gave to another. In that sense, it's all right. Also, this is not mandated by God. This is just people were moved so much to give and to donate to someone else who had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people. The Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Praise God. So that's a lot of good to say about Christ. They're saying that David spoke about this individual, which of course caught their attention. They know who David is there because this is a Jewish event that they're all coming back for. Uh, so they're talking about J David. They're talking about prophecy. They're saying that Jesus died. He also rose again and that he was approved of God by signs and wonders and miracles. And none of you all can deny it. And they didn't. And you may think, well, maybe it just wasn't recorded that they did. Even if that was so, there's no way they would have joined them if they knew that they were lying. I mean, would you? Would you join someone you know is lying to you? <laughs> I don't think so. Especially when the evidence is there to say, hey, you know this happened. So that's why we should follow God. That's the first reason, because Jesus is counseling us or directing us toward that. Now, what's the second reason? Second reason is because following God is a way better option than whatever it is we could decide to live for. See, people are shaken up by war, by money, by family, people, status, acceptance. You can live for pride. You can live for personal gain. You can live for discovery. You know, I'm going on a new adventure every day. Or maybe someone's living for nothing at all. But that won't do because just as Nietzsche concluded, you'll just fall into uh, nihilism. You'll just fall into despair. That's really the, the end for someone who's not living for God, if you're thinking out your worldview fully. Now look at some benefits of following God versus someone else. Now we're going to look at Solomon, and I'm not talking about the prosperity gospel. Now I do believe that there is prosperity in the gospel. I do believe that if you give, you will receive. Now others call that karma, which has deep roots in Hinduism, Buddhism, Jainism, Sikhism, and Taoism. However, people will believe that when they can phrase it as karma, but they don't want to believe in reaping what you sow, which is the exact same thing. People don't want to follow God for real. That's the real issue. They want something that they really don't want to have to, that won't require them to change 
really anything or deal with judgment, but feel like they are filling in the gap in their hearts that comes from being apart from God. Now, without going over all that, because there are some truths in other religion, but only when they line up with the truth, which is the word of God. See, the word of God will touch on every part of man. And most of its main dealings are in history, not mythology. And if you respect history, then you have to respect the Bible because it's written as history, as historical narrative. And if you'll respect that it is truth as presented as history, then you're, you have to really can be confronted with, does God want me to prosper? And to say no is not really to take the word as truth. So let's look at an example. If you give as a your time or your effort or your money, whatever it is, if you give over years for a long time and you believe in karma or reaping what you sow and you get it all back at once, like a mutual fund or even a savings account, it would look like you prospered to me. But that is because we didn't see every week or every day or every month or whenever when you kept putting in small amounts of money each week into this investment. Another example is when you do small payments for paying off a house, you knew small payments until the end and you have the whole house. You're not buying a piece of house at the time. And we know this because if you owe $10 on the house still, they could take your whole house. They don't take everything and give you the $10 that you own. You know, here's the lamp, we'll take in the house. No, or here's a wall or whatever. They take the whole house. They could take the entire house until you pay off the whole thing. Then when you pay that final amount of money, look at what you now possess in the same day, a whole house. So be wise and balanced about this. And we can go into that further on a future recording. But I'm not also saying on the other hand, so this is the other side, I'm not saying you can just sit around all day on your butt and just have things come to you because you love God, go to church, smile at people and hug babies. No, that's wrong. I'm also not saying that you can just say something randomly and just get it because you said it. For instance, you can't live in sin and receive from God by just saying money come to me because faith works by love. And love don't sin, because God is love. So people in hell, for instance, are not receiving from God because they rejected God while they were on earth and his ways while they were on earth. Yet in heaven, people are around mansions. They're walking on streets that are paved with gold. And they receive good down here if they practice the principles well enough during their lives. Now Solomon demonstrates this nicely. Look at how he prayed right here. You can sum up the heart of true biblical prosperity here. There's other principles, but this is a good place to start. First Kings chapter three, verse three. Watch what it says about Solomon. Now Solomon's David's son. If you know about David and Goliath, then this is his son. He was taught well. He had to make his own decisions about what he was taught, but he starts out pretty good here. First Kings chapter three and three. And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes or rules or principles of David his father. Only he sacrificed and burnt incense in the high places. Now, all that means is that there was no place really to sacrifice because there was no house built unto the name of the Lord 
in those days, which it says in the previous verse. And the king went to Gibeon and sacrif to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. A thousand burnt offerings did Solomon offer upon that altar. Now in Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, Ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said, So imagine God, okay, let's pause here for a moment. Imagine God visiting you and saying, What do you want me to give you? Now, if you give me, just be like, give me a moment, okay, because I can think of some things that I won't need and probably don't deserve and really shouldn't have, but would be nice. So look at what Solomon's heart here is. Now, see, th that thinking that I just mentioned is where prosperity gospel gets off, right? Give me millions and millions of dollars so I can sit around and do nothing. No, that's not what Solomon did. Now, look at what Solomon said. Solomon said, you have shown unto your servant David, my father, great mercy, according as he walked before you in truth. And David need mercy, too. And in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with you. That's how he walked with you. And you have kept for him this great kindness that you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Look at that humility. He's not saying I'm sitting here because I'm better because David had other, son, other sons. But he's saying I'm here because I am from my father's obedience. I am a gift that you gave him to have someone to sit on his throne. I appreciate that. And now, verse 7, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of David my father. See, now I'm, your, I'm, I'm king, and I'm your servant. And I am but a little child. Now, he's not a literal, literal little child. He's older. It actually turns out that he was 20 years old, approximately, when he asked this prayer. So he was not really a little child, but to him, he was a child, especially compared to the task that was set before him. So he says, I am but a little child. I know not how to come out or to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people, which you have chosen a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. There's a lot of people I have to rule over. Here's what he asks. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart or in other words, a hearing heart. A wise heart, being able to hear intelligently so that he can judge. So give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may be that I may discern between good and bad, and be able to tell the difference between what's right and wrong here. For who is able to judge this thy so great a people? Now here's how the Lord, God Almighty, who made all things and can do all things, and asked him, do you need me to do all things for you? Do you need me to do something impossible for you? God said, the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Now, what are you praying? Does your speech please the Lord? If not, here's a good guideline on what to pray. Give me a heart that I can discern, an understanding heart, a hearing heart, one that can hear from you so I can tell the difference between good and bad and do the right thing. Do what's pleasing for you and be able to handle the things that you set under my judgment. Do that well and responsibly. Now look at what God said. God said unto him, verse 11, because you have asked this thing and have not asked for yourself long life. You didn't say, hey, I want to live forever. Neither hath asked riches for thyself 
nor hath asked the life of thine enemies, but hath asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. I don't know how we've gotten off with this. He said, you didn't go around saying, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. I want riches. I want a long life. I want uh, also from all my enemies to be wiped out so I can reign forever without problems. I want anybody who's going to give me a problem, just move them away from me far away. He asked for judgment because you asked for yourself understanding to discern judgment or to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart so that there was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. The type of wisdom you're going to have is going to be uncanny. It's going to be unique. And I have given you that which you have not asked, both riches and honor, both riches and honor. Who's talking? The Lord. Was he giving them riches? If riches are not for the people of God, why is God doing that? Is he trying to help Solomon sin? Is he trying to help Solomon miss the mark? I have given you what you have not asked. He said, you didn't even ask for this. And so, you know what? But I do want you to mess up a little bit and I want you to be displeasing to me. I'm going to give you some riches and honor too. Okay. All right. Yeah. Just so you know, because I'm against the prosperity gospel. No, he's not saying any type of foolishness like that. I've given you that which you have asked and I've given you that which you have not asked both riches and honor so that there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee in all thy days. Not even an individual person said you as a king are going to be richer than any than any ruler, any king like unto thee in all thy days. So at least in his days. OK, so no king shall be like Solomon in all his days. Praise God. And what's interesting about that is that that means that if any king tries to amass amount of riches and honor that's higher than Solomon, God's going to push Solomon higher than that. So he's going to be the richest in his time throughout throughout his days. Now look at verse 14. Here's a clause that you want to catch. Here's a condition. And if you will walk in my ways and keep my statutes to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David did walk, then I will lengthen your days. I will lengthen your days. So he said, you didn't ask for long life, but I'll give you what you did not ask if you walk in my stat in my ways and keep my statutes and my commandments like David did. Then it says, and Solomon awoke and behold, it was a dream. But of course it came to pass. So that means that God really did visit him. So. The believer who will allow God to make him the richest man in the world is not going to God saying, make me the richest man in the world, please. If God was a computer or something, maybe that could work because you just input prayer and the output would be answers or riches or whatever you ask for. But what a messed up world we would live in if that were the case, if everything you prayed for you got. No. That's not how it works, at least not in a selfish way. Of course, everything you pray, Jesus even said, you'll ask what you will. It'll be done to you. So you can get everything you pray, but you can't pray from a wicked place or a greedy place or a covetous place and things like that. Now, if you are against the prosperity gospel, do you know what you're saying? You're saying that God's lying here. 
he didn't really make him rich and it wasn't as pleasing what happened because it said God was pleased with what he said and he rewarded him for it you're not only saying God is lying here but you're also saying that Jesus did not walk in God's ways nor please God because God blesses those who please him like he did for Solomon because he said he's no respecter of persons and he doesn't change so saying Jesus was poor means that he did not please God so there's a difference between, also as a side note, there's a difference between spiritual poverty and literal poverty. We know Jesus became poor for our sake, but that's in comparison with heaven, right? And ruling as God and being the word and being God. Now look at Jesus. So Solomon, you may think, wow, Solomon was, woo, he was rich. Look at what Jesus says about all this. He concludes this very nicely, puts into perspective what's available for us if we'll follow him. Verse 19, lay not up for, oh, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, lay not up for yourselves treasure upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves or store up treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, Jesus does command his disciples, except for when they're in ministry, in operation in ministry, to carry a purse. And during that time, it was called a purse, but it was like a wallet to carry money, to buy things. So he's not saying don't have money. That would be foolish. That would be contradictory. We know Jesus was not contra contradictory, but he's saying treasure. See, treasure is precious. That's something you find that is of great great value now he says the light of the body is the eye therefore if your eye be single if you be focused on one thing your whole body shall be full of light but if your eye is evil or unhealthy your whole body shall be full of darkness if therefore the light that is in you be darkness how great is that darkness no man can serve two masters see this is about where your heart is not necessarily where your money is because well, you know, he said, don't have money down here, have money up there. Tell me how you're going to put money in heaven. Please, are you going to throw money into the sky? No, he obviously is talking about where your loyalty lies, where your commitment lies. And we know that from this next verse, no man can serve two masters. He's either going to hate one and love the other, or else he'll hold to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. So obviously, God's not a material substance, and mammon's not a spiritual substance. So he's talking about what you are living for. Therefore, I say unto you, and again, remember, we're talking about point number two, which is the second reason that we should follow God is because following God is a better option than whatever it is that we can decide to live for. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, nor yet for the body. What you shall put on is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment. Now, we know take no thought means take no anxious thought or don't worry about it. Obviously, you have to take thought. There were a time when he was going to feed the five thousands. He said, where are the, how are these people going to eat? Now, is he sinning? No. He's talking about anxious thought, worrisome thought. Behold the fowls of the air. They don't sow, right? They're not investing. They don't reap, right? They don't do karma or sowing or reaping, which is the same thing again. Nor gather into barns at the base level of reaping what you sow. It's, it's the same thing. Nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
aren't you better than they? Yes. Which of you, by taking thought or taking or worrying, can add one cubit to your stature? Can you make yourself taller? Can you make yourself better? Can you make yourself whatever it is you desire by worrying? No. Why take you thought for raiment? Why are you concerning about clothes? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. How do they grow? How does a lily grow? They don't toil. They don't spin. Now, toil means to feel fatigue or work hard. They don't spin. Spin means to spin. <laughs> they don't spend time uh, working like a job, right? The lilies don't do that. Yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory, right? Richest man in the world at the time, was not arrayed like one of these. He's saying the riches that God brought Solomon from the natural things of the world that Solomon then took and arrayed himself with was nothing compared to how God arrayed the lilies and how they have been they're clothed at this time. So what does that mean? The lily, how's it clothed? It's clothed with its own glory, right? It comes with it. Whatever's inside the lily is the real glory. And he wears it on and it wears it on the outside. Whereas Solomon did much, like he said, about toiling and working and all these things, laboring, working hard. Solomon did much of that, but it's nothing compared to what God has fit, has placed on a, a man or a woman in the beginning in there uh, that's on the inside of you. So remember, he's talking about where your heart is. Treasure is in your heart. Solomon had much treasure God brought to him from the outside, and that was because of what was in his heart. But real treasure is in your heart. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, and let me go back to that, real treasures in the heart. Where, what do you value? What do you spend your time doing? What do you spend your time thinking on? Who are you following? That's what this message is about. Why you should follow God versus whatever it is that you're following. So, verse 30 says, Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow's cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? How are we going to be clothed? For after these things do all the Gentiles, or those without God, that's what they seek for, for your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first. So this is why, well, if God knows it, how come I don't have it? Here we go. Verse 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, or being his way of being right. And all these things shall be added unto you. Now, he just told you what Solomon did. He mentioned Solomon. And then he just told you how Solomon got it. Solomon sought, how does God operate? How does God judge? How does God think? How does God tell the difference between good and evil? How does God determine what justice is? He sought that first and all these other things were added unto them. And then he said, the lilies are nothing compared, or I'm sorry, Solomon is nothing compared to the lilies. Now you do the same thing. He's telling you the key on how to get the things that you're actually worried about. 
Stop worrying about those things. Seek God. You'll get those things. If you worry about those things, he just said that won't get you the things. He said, what is worrying going to do? Is it going to make you taller? Is it going to make you better? Is it going to bring something into your hands? If that was the case, worry would be advice. You know what? If you really want that, you need to worry some more because that'll bring it to you. No, that's not even that's not even reaping what you sow. That's not karma or anything. Right. If we really believe that if we put something out into the universe that's saying that loosely, that it'll come back to us. Why are we doing that? Sometimes we're just saying something. Build yourself on the principles of God so that he can bless you. He can multiply you. He can add to you. And you cannot be worried. You can be full of joy. I'll end with verse 34. Take therefore no thought for tomorrow. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow. Why? Tomorrow shall take thought for the things of itself. You'll be there soon enough. Because there's enough evil in each day. There's enough trouble in each day. Just be concerned with what's happening right now and not be concerned in a worrisome fashion, be concerned with what God said to do about it. And then tomorrow, seek the kingdom of God. The day after, seek the kingdom of God. And we're going to talk about that. Now, how do I follow God? That's going to be what we talk about in the next part. But this was why you want to follow God. And as you can see, Solomon lived it out. Jesus lived it out. Even Job was saying, even the wicked can prosper. Okay, if you want to prosper, even the wicked can prosper. So it's nothing about prosperity being unavailable. It's about how do you go about getting it. That'll wrap it up for this time. We'll see you in the next one.